It's Tuesday, June 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We got weird stuff happening in the market today. So we sure do. I'm glad you're you're going to explain what's actually happening with the various earnings that we have, and we're going to we'll get to some retail. We'll get to some cloud stores. Let's start with Tiffany. Shares of Tiffany are up five percent this morning, and I really am not sure why. Their first quarter revenue was low. Their same store sales were negative five percent. That was basically. Three times as bad as analysts thought it was going to be. Why is this stock up? I think they must have said something in the conference call that is not completely contained in the earnings report, and that's often the case because the numbers are not that good, and it's not as if there was some blowout expected. It's a company that's growing at sort of you know the rate of growth of the global economy more or less. I think the initial pre-market reaction was quite negative and was based in part on part of the quote that is early on in the report, which talks about a drop-off, a dramatically lower worldwide spending attributed to foreign tourists. Okay, so that dramatically lower are two bad words to put together in an earnings report. If you're in the business of selling anything, yes. Um, but if you're explaining away something, and then in the conference call you say something like, "Oh yeah, you know, the quarter ended at the end of uh, you know April, and uh, by the way, May looks really good, right?" Like, like that reversed itself. I don't know that that's the explanation there, uh, but there was something. To that, that that whatever the quarterly numbers were, which if they stood on their own, you would sell, and the market was selling pre-market. There's another part to the story, and it's better than what is contained at the end of April. This is one of those stocks that, at various points in time, Tiffany has been a great stock to own. But you look over the long term, there. If if your mindset when it comes to stocks is, I'm looking to buy great business. It's the Charlie Munger line. I'm looking to buy great businesses and sit on my butt. I don't know that Tiffany, certainly in the recent past, has been one of those businesses. It's it's basically been flat for about five years. Yeah, you should have gotten off your butt in about 1999, <laughs> I would say, because that's when the real. Uh, surge in the the price. It, it went up about four x uh, from uh, ninety eight to ninety nine. Went from about a ten eleven dollar stock to a forty dollar stock, and now it's a ninety dollar stock. And you've gotten some dividends in there. But twenty years where it has done a little bit better than double is obviously trailing the market. And there are some peaks and valleys where you could have timed something over a short period of time if you got into this stock like many others at the bottom in two thousand and nine. You're happy. You're happy if you'd bought the other thing that you would have bought at the very bottom of 2009 as well. And as you point out, the last five years have been, you know, one step forward, one step back, and not really a compounding effect. If you'd gotten out, uh, oh, about a year ago today, you'd be pretty happy. Let's move on to Box, the cloud storage company. Uh, first quarter loss was smaller than expected. So that's always nice to see. Uh, but shares of Box are falling because they lowered 
revenue guidance for the full fiscal year. And I hasten to point out that revenue in the first quarter actually came in higher than expected. So this makes sense to me that shares of Box are falling when they when they outperformed on their sales in the first quarter and basically said, "Oh yeah, but the next three quarters, yeah, we're going to have to lower that full year guidance." Yeah, and it again, this is pointing out that the what is being guided to uh, going forward is more important in the earnings release story, just as it was for Tiffany. Uh, and they're talking about sort of a longer sales cycle, and they're having more trouble with, I think, contracts of, of over a hundred thousand deals of over a hundred thousand dollars. That you don't want to see that as the area of weakness, the larger uh, contract deals. Uh, and they're they're sort of shifting the model to uh, strategic solution selling, um, and so all of that is amounting to lowered guidance, and that never really raises the price of your stock. I know this may sound odd to say about a company that's worth two and a half billion dollars, but this really seems like a company that could be in trouble because they're in an industry with some enormous players. Their stock is at a 52-week low, and I'm wondering if you own shares of Box. If at this point you're just hoping for someone to come along and make an offer to buy the company, because I can't imagine with the struggles almost seems like too strong a word, but so I'll just couch it by saying the relative struggles of this company since it's been public. It's hard for me to imagine that people are looking at this drop today, the stock hitting a 52-week low, and saying, "Oh yeah, now's the time to pick up some more shares." Yeah, you could talk about it in struggles, at least as in terms of a stock. It's uh, four years ago, a little over that came public, and it's lower today than not only the uh, the IPO price, but sort of after it settled a couple of days, it was $18 in February of 2015. It's now you know 16 today, so. Given that it is a cloud-based company, uh, there's a lot of other stuff that is in the cloud content management, which is a competitor um, and some very big companies, as you noted. Uh, but also, just if you bought a basket of companies that had cloud in their description name, you'd be pretty happy over the last three, four years. Box is one of the ones that would lower your returns, and others would have done better for you. So you were in the right. Space generally, but not in this name um, particularly. Good name, though. Well, I don't. You know, it's Box, and I think they're one of their competitors. Sort of is Dropbox, and I think right there you've there you got go. a, a little bit That's of better. confusion. And some of the other competitors for cloud storage are things like Google. Amazon, Microsoft, <laughs> Apple, you know, those are the places where you store things in the cloud. So, tough competition, and they've got their work cut out for themselves in distinguishing themselves. And they, they have you know some add-ons that that they've been marketing in terms of making this more of a solutions company and more of a platform that you can do many things on than just store. But you can see from the results of the stock, it hasn't been working out for investors. Like Box, Land's End's first quarter loss was smaller than expected. Their same-store sales looked pretty good. I'm still scratching my head on why shares of Land's End are up more than 10% today. Is this just a the expectations were so low for this company that anything in the positive direction is going to move the stock? 
I I would say yeah. I mean, it it was hemmed in by the strategy of wetting itself to Sears for so many years, and it's still extracting itself from that catastrophe. And it's really gone kind of nowhere over the last decade. Uh, it's it's really no bigger uh, in terms of sales than it than it really than it was two decades ago. So. It's still around, you know. You still see it. It's still a hallmark of, of uh, well, not the hallmark of preppiness, but it's uh, it's sort of a B team on that. I mean, your favorite LL Bean is still, I think, the the standard bearer for preppy. Yeah. Oh yes. I feel like there are niche brands that are more standard bearers. There's LL Bean makes a lot of outdoor gear, a lot of durable gear, so. Yes, there are elements of LL Bean. Did you ever read the uh, the Preppy Handbook? No, I, I I think it was required reading at your alma mater. It was. A, I think not my, my 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 prep school. I think was number two. You know, in in, in one of its lists. Oh, I was I was just referring to Yale. I wasn't referring to your prep school. No, no, Yale isn't nearly as preppy as people think. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not. I mean, but prep schools, almost by definition, uh, are are a good deal preppier. No, it's no Princeton. I mean, when it comes to preppiness, come on, be serious for a minute. Anyway, you're defending um, LL Bean as well. You might uh, because it's not. It doesn't only stand for preppiness, although it does stand for that. It also stands for all things Maine, and so Lands End is is sort of a. Uh, a me too in in that category, and it's it's okay. I mean, it's still around. A lot of brands have uh, had a rougher go over the last twenty years than Lands End, in which case they're probably gone. But it's it's a treading water uh, type of brand. But it has some brand equity. It's quality merchandise that they make, and it really does seem like someone could make this brand work better than. The standalone company right now, because this is basically a four hundred million dollar company right now. So for fiscal twenty nineteen, here's what the company expects: net revenue to be between one point four five and one point five billion. So that sounds pretty good, you know, selling around one and a half billion. But the actual net income is expected to be ten to sixteen million. So. That's a lot of work to do to wind up with. Let's take the midpoint, call it thirteen million dollars of profit off of, you know, a hundred times that in in sales, and so there is obviously some um, possibility of doing better than having one percent of your sales be the net profit uh, when you're a, a retailer, when you're a brand, when you've got brand power. Uh, but they're not doing it at the moment, and so yeah. Today, uh, the report makes it appear that they're not on the verge of death, as one might have feared, uh, in the wake of you know the the Sears story. But you're not interested in this, like from a stock perspective. No, it just it, retailing is hard generally. Fashion retailing, it is. Even harder today, I think, with the situation in the malls. They're opening some stores. I hope they're not in malls. Uh, but that's uh, there's a lot of competition. There are a lot of places that are going to be probably going out of business if the trade wars 
expand and continue. Uh, I don't know where they're sourcing their their clothing, but uh, it's it's not it's not a great situation for retailers generally, and Lands End uh, in particular hasn't shown anything over the last two decades that would make me be especially interested. Last year, a California judge ruled that cups of coffee sold in the state would have to come with a warning label regarding an increased risk of cancer. We talked about that story last year at the time because we thought, well, that's crazy. Because coffee. Because coffee is amazing and incredibly healthy. Uh, Yesterday, Monday, I'm happy to say, California's Office of Administrative Law officially signed off on an exemption recommended by the state regulator in charge of the list of chemicals that require warnings. Uh, Also yesterday, new research was presented at the British Cardiovascular Society conference. Thank you to the many dozens of listeners who emailed this story, tweeted this story uh, at MarketFoolery and at me directly, uh, also posted in our Facebook group. Uh, It's a study of more than 8,000 people, uh, resulting in the conclusion that drinking up to 25 cups of coffee a day is safe for the heart. I'm not going to lie. I'm a big coffee enthusiast, as I think any listener who's been around for a while knows. That that top line number sort of surprised me. I was like, twenty five. Well, we were talking earlier this morning. Like, what's the most? How many cups of coffee have you know that you've consumed in a day? And mine probably tops out at like low double digits. Yeah. Well, the the first you have to get at the math. What is a cup of coffee? And a cup is eight fluid ounces. But you have told me that somewhere the Grand Council has determined that for coffee there's a special. Um, measurement and it's six ounces. Well, so somewhere in in my past, I remember coming across that. I mean, and by my past, I mean like probably thirty years ago. And I think this sort of harkens back to a time when coffee was less popular, less consumed. Certainly, this is the pre-Starbucks era, and it came in like and the actual cup that coffee would be served in really, unless you wanted to fill it right to the top. Held about six ounces, and so that's how that was calculated. But yeah, which by the way, that's the only place I ever encountered coffee—a liquid being like, oh, yeah, I know, uh, liquid. We measure a cup as eight ounces, but for this one liquid, and only this one liquid, we're going to say a cup is six ounces. All right, let me confuse it further because I just googled this while we're doing this, and and although a standard cup in U.S. measurements eight fluid ounces, uh, a cup on your coffee maker is five fluid ounces. If you set your brewer to make two cups, you get ten ounces of coffee, which seems crazy. All right. So anyway, that's let's, take, let's, let's just take that for a moment because it it makes the numbers slightly more comprehensible. Let's say that twenty five cups is at five fluid ounces, one hundred and twenty five ounces of coffee. Now I've done that in a day. I'm pretty sure, not every day, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, there are some days where I'm pretty sure I would have had 125 ounces of coffee. If if we're talking about eight uh, ounces to a cup, to have 200 ounces of coffee in a day is heroic. And <laughs> I, I I confess I don't think I've ever achieved that. I, I'm not sure I agree with the word heroic. Oh uh, yes, it's, it's like uh, like uh, Homer would have written epic poetry about uh, the heroes who could have who could have done that. There's it's there are probably a few lines in uh, in the Iliad, the Odyssey, you know, somewhere in there, the Aeneid. 
Uh, About coffee drinking. One one imagines that Achilles and his magical powers might have been able to consume 200 ounces of coffee in a day, and if so, probably would have demonstrated that to the masses in order to increase his stature. We are. I assume I'm right about all this. (laughs) I'm assuming you are. We're one month away from Independence Day, which coincides with the hot dog eating contest on Coney Island. Maybe one year they could just say, look, we're going to sub out the hot dogs, and this year it's just going to be who can drink the most coffee. It, you'd have to do it in a finite amount of time. But uh, We could Guinness book that. Let's not do that, because uh, this is already bad podcast material, and Googling you know, the Guinness record for drinking coffee, that doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, all of which to say, uh, for anyone, and we did, it, just to bring it back to the stocks, we did see a dip last year. We did see some weak souls panic and sell their shares of various coffee stocks when this judge in California handed down this ruling last year. And in hindsight, that was the wrong time to sell. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, it's just one more study uh, indicating the. Uh, the fact that coffee, uh, virtually, it is a little bit like Achilles, you know, who was immune because of being dipped in the river sticks, and I think that it is similar uh, powers that are acquired by drinking coffee and only coffee. But you basically, the, your only weakness, and I can attest to this, is your Achilles heel, which I've ruptured in the last year. No. That's the only, and I've had no other injuries. You know why? Due to my coffee drinking. Coffee. We'll wrap up there. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues at MFAM Funds. Just go to mfamfunds.com. You can sign up for declarations. It's the free monthly newsletter that they publish. Did I mention it's free? It's free, and it's actual good content. It's not this nonsense that we've been talking about for the past few minutes about coffee. It's actual smart commentary and analysis about stocks and investing. So you should check it out. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by the immortal Dan Boyd, who is back behind the glass. Thank you, New Orleans, for returning him safe and sound. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.